Huckabee is brought to you in part by Trivita.com, helping you experience greater wellness. Tonight on Huckabee, Vernon Jones faces down political bullies. You're seeing that Democratic Party, they really are horrified and they're terrified of blacks thinking independently. Dave Rubin on why progressives have become regressives. Where is the ability to agree to disagree? It basically is check off these 10 things or you're out. And medical correspondent Dr. Jen Ashton provides healthy advice. It's to protect those around us. So it's not about me, it's about we. And now, here's Mike Huckabee. Thanks for joining us for this edition of The Huckabee Show, pandemic version. Most people have tried to follow the guidelines to stay home and be cautious, but as the forecasts for the impact have proven to be grossly overestimated, the only people who seem to want this to continue are certain elected officials who just like telling people what to do. I've been to some countries with authoritarian governments that govern with a brutal iron hand, and I've always appreciated that as a citizen of the United States of America, I had guaranteed civil liberties and clearly defined rights that would be protected. Even if I actually committed a crime and the entire thing was captured six different angles on video, I was still presumed innocent until proven guilty by a jury of my peers, and I would be entitled to legal representation and due process. Now, we've all been rankled by criminals who did horrible things, but who frankly were protected by the very law that we hoped would put them in prison and away from our communities where they did real damage to the innocent. And then came the pandemic. And with it, forced closure of businesses, events, and public places, and even forced demands to wear masks and refrain from even visiting our own relatives. Suddenly, for the first time in my life, my beloved America is starting to look like some of the truly horrible and abusive places that I visited and couldn't wait to get out of. This week, a hair salon owner in Dallas was actually put in handcuffs and taken to jail because she refused to apologize to a power-hungry judicial tyrant who gets to wear a robe at taxpayer expense. Now, her crime was not just that she chose to open her salon so that her employees could earn a living and feed their families. Nope, she was jailed because she refused to say the magic words ordered by the judge that she was selfish for allowing her employees uh, just so they could earn money and pay their rent, buy their groceries and pay bills. The judge gets his paycheck, by the way, and it's a good one, over $150,000 a year. Meanwhile, in Washington, members of the Nancy Pelosi-led House refused to return to Washington or to engage in a session by way of online meetings because they didn't think it was safe. Now, they're fine with you driving a truck or working in a hospital or nursing home, answering calls as a firefighter or policeman, or even stocking the shelves at your local supermarket. But they're not going to work, and they're getting paid anyway. And guess what? You are paying them. Then it hit me. You want to end the most ridiculous and dictatorial aspects of the shutdown? It's quite simple. Whatever level of government orders a shutdown for others, its members should cease being paid until those under the shutdown can return to work. So if your business can't open and you can't earn a living, then your mayor, county officials, your governor, or your Congress who shuts you down shouldn't take one penny of pay 
until you can. And you know what will happen? Those orders will get relaxed. And then it's going to be up to you whether you feel safe venturing out and opening your business or patronizing a business. It's called freedom. We're Americans and we ought to act like it. And the people who are elected to service need to start treating us like Americans with fundamental civil liberties instead of like first graders who are told when it's appropriate to go to the restroom and when to line up for our trip to the lunchroom so we can eat what someone else has decided is good for us. So to mayors and governors, county officials and members of Congress, as well as the appointed and employed government officials, I say this. Since you are a public servant and the people that you work for aren't getting paid, stop collecting your paycheck until they get theirs. And when that happens, you're not going to see out-of-control judges putting hairstylists in jail for not saying the right words. As I said last week, I fear I might get a virus, but I fear even more that I will lose the liberties that make being an American unique. I've visited some police states. I sure as heck don't want to live in one. My first guest is a lifelong Democrat. He's a member of the Georgia's House of Representatives. As an African-American, he says that it pains him to admit it, but his party doesn't give a hoot about the black community. Now, he's got a diverse voting record, voting for George W. Bush for president, as well as voting for Barack Obama. But after endorsing President Trump's reelection, he almost resigned his seat because of the relentless abuse and outright harassment from his own party. But now he says he's going to stay in office and fight another day. Please welcome State Congressman Vernon Jones. Vernon, great to have you here. And I want you to tell me why you decided to endorse President Trump and what kind of reaction you got. It was very clear my, my support of President Trump. Two things. One, the strong leadership. And two, the results. President Trump gets results. And I've had to run a government as a county executive, and I know what it means to get things done. And uh, just like you and you were the chief executive, we, we got things done so we can appreciate someone like the president who not just talk the talk, but walk the walk. You know, some of your Democratic colleagues called you a traitor, even said you were an embarrassment. I, I, I've got to tell you, I was surprised by the level of abuse and uh, hostility. Were you surprised at, at what was thrown at you over this? Well, Mike, first of all, what are they going to do, spank me? I mean, you know, um, uh, it's, it's, it's the, the issue here is the Democratic Party does not have room uh, under its tent, supposedly inclusive tent, for independent thinking uh, and conservative black men and women. And what I've done is really just expose the bigotry that has been going on all along with this party. I have two of my colleagues, one in Michigan, state representative. She was censored just because she thanked the president. I have another colleague out in Tennessee who served 26 years, a pastor, um, elected 13 times by his constituents. And the Democratic Party uh, literally took him off the ballot a couple of weeks ago because he was for school choice and he was pro-life. And so uh, this is being exposed more and more every day, uh, Mike. And, and that's why I was saying I didn't leave the party. The Democratic Party left me. You know, Vernon, I hear that and it breaks my heart because I'm thinking about some of those issues you just mentioned. One being pro-life. Uh, more black babies are aborted. Uh, far more 
uh, proportionally than our white babies. You would think that that would be an issue that uh, African-Americans across the country would be saying, quit killing our babies. I, I don't understand why that those issues are not issues that Democrats would want to embrace and become pro-life. Well, Mike, black people have a historic reputation of being conservative across the board, very faith-based, hardworking, saving their money. However, the Democratic Party has hijacked the black voters, and they've taken them down this left road where they, they're more radical, uh, they're more leftist, they're more socialist, and black people um, have got to stop and, and get woke, if you will, and see what's really going on here. Hmm. And so that's what I'm doing. I, I'm working to uh, to bring back out those values that the black community had instilled in them. I was born and reared on a farm in North Carolina. Uh, I was taught hard work. Obviously, faith in going to church was a big part of it. Um, the only thing we wanted from the government was for it to get out of our way so we can be productive citizens and, and live a quality of life. And so you're, you're seeing that Democratic Party, they really are horrified and they are terrified of blacks thinking independently. I, I'm curious, were there some specific issues the president uh has been a champion of. That that really led you to say, I'm gonna support President Trump for re-election. President Trump has a clear message um, in terms of what he's done for our clear track record. He's created jobs, he's helped small businesses, he's cut taxes. Uh, he's allowed us to not, America not to be taken granted by these foreign countries and making them pay their fair share, but to bring them back home specifically. Uh, I was born and reared in the South. I mentioned to you about that. But I went to a historical white college, North Carolina Central University. I'm a proud graduate for what he did to not only restore funding, but to go and write it into law. Also, the criminal justice reform. Uh, you, can, you can see where Joe Biden wrote the crime bill that disproportionately put many blacks in jail and in prison. They were separated from their families. They lost everything. And President Trump has come with the First Step Act that allowed them, nonviolent, first-time offenders along that category, to get back out, be reunited with their families, and at the same time go on and live productive lives. And also opportunity zone districts. A lot of African-American communities are, are have been hit by the blight, and this allows them to have uh, revitalization of those neighborhoods and investments and tax breaks for business people, including African-Americans. So... Uh, President Trump has left no group behind. Everybody's prospered under President Trump's administration. Have you had any uh, feedback from uh, the president or his campaign or any of his people? Did any of them reach out to you? You, you know, Mike, I'm just like you. We didn't do anything to, to get feedback from the president. It's just how I felt, mm -hmm. um, and it needs to be said. Uh, and I don't have a problem. You know, I call balls and strikes. I've always had conservative leanings. I've, I've always been independent. I voted for... Uh, President uh, George W. Bush. Well, they gave me a hard time about that when I ran for the United States Senate, but huh. I don't care. I, I, I am glad, though, that my voice has become public because many feel the same way I feel, but they're afraid of being browbeat by the Democratic Party. And that's why I talk about rooting that bigotry out. But at the same time, I, I have been reached by or contacted by some within the Trump organization, not from President Trump, not looking for that. He's trying to get us through this pandemic crisis right now. And that's the most important thing. Um, but I will do everything I can um, to help this president get reelected because I think he's the best person to lead us not only through this pandemic crisis, but also to get us back on our feet where we can um, 
continue to have those record breaking number record breaking numbers as he's done with uh, with Wall Street and and unemployment uh, for even for various ethnic groups. And so I want this president to get reelected. He deserves it. He's done more than three and a half years than than most presidents have done in my lifetime. So I'm honored to work. Vernon Jones, thank you very, very much for being with us. It has been a pleasure, and your honesty and candor is refreshing. Thank you so much for coming. And I want to tell our audience that you can keep up with uh, Representative Jones on Twitter at Rep Vernon Jones. Keith Bilbrey, tell us what we have to look forward to coming up next on the show. Well, we've got a great show to look forward to tonight. Political analyst Dave Rubin. The right and the Republicans and the conservatives, they happen to be much more open-minded right now. Mr. Punchline himself, Scott Wood. I love social distancing. I haven't seen Nancy Pelosi for weeks. Plus, ABC chief medical correspondent, Dr. Jen Ashton. It's to protect those around us. So it's not about me, it's about we. Later, country music's Crystal Gale sings on Huckabee. Next week on Huckabee, Larry Kudlow on the way back for America's economy. And Sarah Evans premieres her new album, Copy That. And welcome back as Trey Corley plays All By Myself. And he literally is this week, all by himself. But we're glad he is. Well, you know him from The Rubin Report, YouTube's most watched talk show on free speech, as well as his tours with Dr. Jordan Peterson. He's got a brand new book, and it's called Don't Burn This Book, Thinking for Yourself in an Age of Unreason. Dave Rubin, welcome back to the show. Glad to have you. Thanks for having me, Governor. It's always good to be with you. Dave, one of the things you mentioned in this incredible book uh, is that the left is no longer liberal. What do you mean by that? When I talk about liberalism and leftism, people really need to understand that these are two very, very different things. Liberalism, in its true sense, classical liberalism, is about individual rights, meaning that anyone who lives in a society legally should have the exact same rights, regardless of your skin color, your gender, your sexual orientation, or any other immutable characteristic, which, by the way, is exactly what we have in the United States of America. The other sort of basic classical liberal principle is the light touch of government, that you want competition to do as much as possible, but you do understand that we need some level of government. And that, that really makes, that's the distinction between say classical liberalism and the more libertarian approach. But by the way, I happen to like a lot of the stuff that comes out of libertarians. Leftism as it is, and this is what I would say sort of the Bernie Sanders, AOC, democratic socialists who are only holding on to the word democratic for another few months because they really are socialists, they believe that the government is somehow inherently good and that the government should tell you basically how you can live. And when you take that and then you, you add what they've added, which is identity politics, the idea that we should be grouping, judging each other on our immutable characteristics, meaning black people should think this, white Christian people who they put at the, t the lowest part of the totem pole, that they must think this and usually have to be quiet about it, or gay people must think this. This is a really, really toxic stew because I know you know this, none of us would wanna be judged by our immutable characteristics. Mm -hmm. 
the book, don't burn this book. I'm assuming your point is that uh, book burning is one of those ways in which you shut people out. You don't hear what they're saying. What you're hoping people will do is to listen to what you're saying. And what you're saying is think for yourself and, and uh, open yourself up to other ideas. But that's not really the prevailing mindset today is to uh, listen to people with whom you disagree. What do we need to do to better do that? Well, I think the most important thing is understand that just because you think something doesn't mean that everyone else has to think about uh, think exactly the same way. So hmm. we've talked about this before, Governor. I know that you and I have some political disagreements, and I think actually we relish in that. I love the fact that I live in a country yeah. with people who disagree with me politically. And by the way, that's what our founders wanted. That was the whole idea of federalism and having different states who test different things out and figure out the best way to free, in essence, the most amount of people. I think what's happened here, and that so many people now see, is that the largest group that I believe, the largest underserved group in America today politically, is what I call the politically closeted. It's people that they don't necessarily agree with everything that the Republican side says, and they don't necessarily agree with everything the Democratic side says, but they're afraid to speak out because they don't want to be destroyed by the mob. Now, I do have to add that the, the right and the Republicans and the conservatives, they happen to be much more open-minded right now. It's not always the case, but right now there is a richness between conservatives and libertarians. Look, who's, who's Trump's number one ally in the Senate? It's our most libertarian senator, Rand Paul. That shows you that there's a richness between conservatives and libertarians right now. But on the left, where is the ability to agree to disagree. It basically is check off these 10 things or you're out. So I sense that the future of American politics is sort of a center-right future. You know, Dave, uh, when I talk to some people, it's they don't want to just disagree, but if you don't agree with them 100%, they want to put you out of business. They want to stop your book sales. They don't want to have anyone watch your television show. They don't want anyone to come hear you speak on a campus. I find that to be frightening and dangerous because it, it does uh, sort of completely erase the, the heart of what America is supposed to be, where people are free and they can say things, even outrageous things, ridiculous things, but they're free to say them. I just don't have to be forced to accept them. Let's not forget that the, the free speech movement in America, where did it start really in earnest? It was in the 60s in Berkeley. So it, free speech was a lefty principle at some point. Let's also not forget that I believe it was 1971, Skokie, Illinois, there's the famous ACLU case where they defended the rights of neo-Nazis to march in Skokie, Illinois, which was the home, I, I think, of the largest amount of Holocaust survivors in the United States. And by the way, that was the right decision. The, the, the Nazis weren't allowed to do anything violent, but they were allowed to express their views as odious as we may all think those views are. What the left has morphed into now is if you don't buy into whatever they do, they do wanna burn your book. So actually right now, I mean, part of the idea of titling the book, Don't Burn This Book, was that I didn't expect us to be in 1941 Germany where we're literally you know, doing bonfires, throwing books into, into fires. But as you said, why do you burn books? Well, it's because you don't want those ideas to be heard. Well, right now there's a massive coordinated assault on my Amazon reviews and some of the online retailers to, to suppress the reviews of the book, not because they've read the book or they're countering the ideas, but just because they don't want these ideas heard. So that I would say is a digital or a modern book burning. 
Well, it is a great book. It's one that I hope people of all ages will read, but I especially hope uh, people who are college age and in their 20s and 30s will read it because I think that they're uh, really most at risk of growing up in a world and living in a world where they're not free to think for themselves. You are doing us a great service by reminding us of the power of free thinking. Dave Rubin, thank you so much for joining us again. Delighted to have you back and look forward. Hope thank the you, book, Governor. Uh, which is already a bestseller, and we hope it continues to rise to the top and stay there for a long time. All right, Keith Bilbrey is going to tell our viewers how they can enjoy more of Dave Rubin's political and cultural insights. He's going to tell us right now. Gladly, Governor. Don't Burn This Book is available now at Amazon and other booksellers. Watch the Rubin Report on YouTube, and you can find all things Dave Rubin at DaveRubin.com and follow him online at Rubin Report. Coming up, comedian and impressionist Scott Wood and coronavirus safety with Dr. Jen Ashton. Later, Pastor Robbie Gallaty talks addiction recovery and Grammy Award winner Crystal Gale performs on Huckabee. Go to MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. My next guest is a very funny comedian who's nicknamed Mr. Punchline. He's also an accomplished impressionist. He can imitate celebrities and news figures alike. Here's a quick sample of comedian Scott Wood at work on stage. Stupid smartphone. I tell the phone, find me the cheapest gas. It gave me three Taco Bells. <laughs> and it's cheap too, you know what I'm talking about. I don't like those phones, because we lie on them too much, man, all the time. Like, I, like I'm, 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 I'm pulled over to the side of the road because I have a dead battery, so I'm on my phone, right? Thinking it's gonna help me. I'm like, call AAA. Calling Chipotle. <laughs> no, 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 not Chipotle. I said that I thought for a minute, I go, well, I'm kind of hungry. I'll be honest with you. Scott, welcome to the show. Why don't you tell us how you got dubbed Mr. Punchline? I've been doing stand up comedy for like 30 years full time, but being a one liner, quick jokes, um, you know, the name kind of fit. And um, so there you go. King of the clean one-liners, keeping it clean. Well, thank you. Sometimes we like to think so, but our audience doesn't always agree. But you know, mm -hmm. with all the impressions you do, I think there's like over 300 of them. Maybe mm -hmm. you could give us a word from our current president. Well, he is here, so let me bring him on. All right. It is absolutely terrific. Terrific, terrific, tremendous to be here, of course. Mike, I love you. I love what you're doing there in Nashville. Tremendous, tremendous. I love social distancing. I haven't seen Nancy Pelosi for weeks. Tremendous. <laughs> just ran into Hillary. <laughs> just ran into uh just ran into Hillary in the men's room. Who knew? <laughs> Oh, that's great. What about uh, maybe checking in with Dr. Anthony uh, Fauci on how things are going with this pandemic? 
Hello, I'm Dr. Anthony Fauci with another COVID-19 update. <laughs> As I like to call it, who sneezed? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> when out in public, please remember, wear a mask, wear your gloves. That's all me and my wife wear when we're out in public, just a mask and gloves only. The looks that we get at Walmart. <laughs> Tremendous. Don't forget to sneeze, uh, sneeze in your governor's elbow. <laughs> yeah, I'm, you, you may be better dressed with gloves and masks than a lot of people at Walmart. Well, you know. Sure. Now, if, if Donald Trump had not won in 2016, is mm -hmm. there some other Hollywood celebrity that might have filled the bill? You know, we should have Jack Nicholson because he's no nonsense. Well, if it isn't my old friend, North Korea, here's Johnny. <laughs> you know, Governor, if you do, uh, if you do the hair super, if you do the hair super wild, <laughs> I, I can get Gary Busey here. Hey, this is Gary Busey, man. <laughs> Hi, this is Gary Busey. I'm, I'm just excited. I just want to say, you know what? Uh, uh, Governor, I'm a fan. I got a brand new book uh, with uh, some helpful tips like uh, people in glass houses should dress in the basement. These are the jokes, uh, people. Scott, these are them. Of, of all the things you're doing, you've got so many talents, but you've got a cooking show that you've created with some other stand-up comics. I can't wait to hear about that. What is that about? Well, we're so excited. Thanks for, for bringing that up and remembering the cue cards. Um, thanks. Uh, it's a, it's a great show. I create a cooking show featuring stand-up comedians called Something Smells Funny. And uh, we're already taking it to um, different <laughs> networks. Different, oh. <laughs> well, thank you for laughing. I just, you know, I'm being a comic for 30 years and knowing so many comics. And, uh, you know, if you love to eat and you love to laugh, this is the perfect show for you. We're going to have all, all kinds of comedians coming on into the kitchen. We're cooking up good, healthy meals. And we're also just cracking up America. Um, I just think that that's, it's a perfect show for, for this time that we're going through with this pandemic, uh, pandemic governor. You know, um, people are trying to feel better and look better and eat healthier. And that's what we're going to really emphasize on this show. So you're going to be cracking up with some of the biggest names in comedy uh, coming into the kitchen. I'm going to help them make a great meal, a great healthy meal that you can make right along with us at home. And um, I do a monologue right up front, you know, like the late night host. And then we take it right to the big kitchen and they come in. We, we're talking all things cooking and comedy. So uh, keep an eye out for something smells funny. I can't wait. Something smells funny. It sounds terrific. Two of my favorite topics, laughing you and go. eating. Scott Wood, you've got to make one promise to us. Come back and uh, be with us in our theater uh, with a live audience, yes. as soon as we get through this pandemic stuff, we would love to have you. Thanks for joining us. I'll bring the governor, listen to me. You know, you know, I fantastic. <laughs> You're working out. It's fantastic. Get down. There you go, America. Uh, thank hey, you, Scott Wood. Hey. Keith Bilbrey's got some You're inside welcome. information on how you can keep laughing with Scott. So, Keith, why don't you fill us in? You can book Scott Wood for your convention, community, or church event. Just call the number on your screen or email 
cleancomic at hotmail.com. And follow Scott on Facebook. He's Mr. Punchline. Next, self-care advice from Dr. Jen Ashton. It's to protect those around us. So it's not about me, it's about we. And the addict to pastor story of Robbie Gallaty. If you keep being their savior, Jesus never can be. Later, country music superstar Crystal Gale sings on Huckabee. Watch the full show or your favorite segment anytime you like. It's on demand at Huckabee.tv. Many of us are struggling to stay healthy when we're stuck at home. My next guest can help. She's a physician, author, expert on obesity and women's health, and the chief medical correspondent for ABC News and The Dr. Oz Show. She's got a timely new book, and it's called The Self-Care Solution. Please welcome Dr. Jennifer Ashton. Dr. Ashton, a delight to have you here. What is the primary message that you want to get across to people in the self-care solution? I think, ironically, we need self-care now more than ever. When I wrote the book, we certainly were not in a pandemic. Um, I actually wrote the book in an attempt to help heal myself after tragedy um, hit my family. And I wanted to turn the doctor lens that I use uh, on my patients and uh, on television onto myself and look at the little things that I do or don't do every day. Uh, I picked 12 monthly challenges that could be done anytime, anywhere, it costs no money, and really did this year-long experiment in self and self-care to see if I felt or saw any difference. And it was pretty interesting. I, I think the unique thing about the book is that it's uh, spelled out by each particular month. So it's a step-by-step uh, a -step approach. It's really a year-long plan, but it's practical, it's simple. So you've designed it so that a person can just read it, follow it, and each month be able to gauge uh, if they're getting healthier. What I learned is that if people are given too many things to do or too big a change, uh, it can be really intimidating and can kind of set you up for um, the opposite of success. And so I really believe in baby steps and changing one thing at a time. And the idea with this book is that you can start it any month. You don't have to start in January. And at the end of the month, if you feel better, if you like the little change, continue it. If not, you're on to a different one. There are some lessons we're learning in the COVID-19 uh, area. And one of them is that healthier people tend to deal with this much better than unhealthy people. People with chronic diseases are the ones most susceptible. Maybe a great motivation to uh, take the lesson of your book and apply it to the coronavirus. I think you have a point. And, you know, unfortunately, we have a pandemic that's making that mission even more urgent. Um, but you're 100% correct. We know that people who live with chronic or pre existing medical conditions 
are at higher risk of severe COVID-19 disease and death from COVID-19. Um, obesity is a condition that affects 42% of the adult U.S. population. And um, when I got my degree in nutrition and got board certified in obesity medicine, I learned how complex a condition it is. Um, but there are ways to start changing uh, habits and our cellular and metabolic well-being that might actually protect us against the COVID-19 virus. So many people have been in uh, self-imposed quarantine, home isolation. When is it safe to go out again? And what are some specific steps that everybody needs to take when they start uh, ramping up back into their, their normal routines and work? Well, I would, I would suggest that you think about a couple of important factors. Number one, the virus is not going anywhere. Um, and it has shown us that we need to treat it with respect. Remember, it's about five months old. So we're still learning about it. And um, what we know so far is that it is highly transmissible and that it can be severe and deadly for some people. Uh, so I think when people start reopening and going back out, we have to understand that we're not going to be able to flip a switch and go back to the way things were in January or November or last summer um, right now and, and possibly for a long time. So we have to take baby steps with that as well. And we have to think of it like a car. There's a gas pedal and there's a brake. And if we see people around us starting to get sick or cases in our local communities um, or cities or towns or states start to go up, we have to be prepared to step on the brake and um, take the common sense, very simple but important and powerful steps uh, to protect our health and those around us. Dr. Ashton, there's been a lot of mixed messages at the early stages of this. We were told don't wear a mask if you're not a medical professional and don't have to. It's even uh, counterproductive. You might touch your face more. Now people are being arrested for not having a mask on in a Walmart store. So the public is confused. Help, help sort us through those kind of mixed messages. Well, I think that, I mean, listen, I'm a type of person that likes to look at the glasses half full and give people the benefit of the doubt. No one knows it all when it comes to medicine and science. We learn every single day. So if you go to a doctor who says that she or he knows everything, that's when you want to find a new doctor. Uh, and we have to remember that five months ago, no one knew anything about this virus. And in medicine and science, we are constantly reevaluating data, reassessing the situation, and we maintain the ability to adapt and pivot and change direction to protect people's health. So yeah, the mask recommendations that were changed by the CDC were a big surprise. They were a surprise to me, but I think we have to remember risk versus benefit. What is the risk of wearing a mask when we go out in public? Not a lot. Remember, it's not to protect the person wearing the mask. It's to protect those around us. So it's not about me. It's about we. Um, and the benefit may be something that's important when we're in the middle of a pandemic. So risk benefit, that's how you look at things in medicine uh, and in science and keep an open mind because no one knows it all. Well, that is uh, certainly for sure. But I got to commend you. You know a lot. You've put a lot of it in your book. It's a book that I hope people will get, especially not because of the pandemic, but as a matter of taking better care of themselves. 
so that they'll be better able to fend off something like the coronavirus. Dr. Ashen, great to have you here. We deeply appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Governor. Pleasure to be with you. All right, Keith Bilbrey, while I decide which way I'm gonna improve myself first, I'm gonna let you tell the folks where they can get Dr. Ashton's wonderful book. The Self-Care Solution is available now at Amazon and all fine booksellers. You can also find other practical health information for you and learn about her medical practice, all at jenniferashtonmd.com. Still to come, real life addiction recovery with Robbie Gallaty. And the legendary Crystal Gale sings her biggest hit on Huckabee. If you're ready to laugh at the news that's too funny but true, watch In Case You Missed It on Huckabee.tv. Welcome back. My next guest is senior pastor of Long Hollow Baptist Church right down the road from our studio in Hendersonville, Tennessee. He's also a renowned author. His latest book reveals his miraculous life story. It's called Recovered, How an Accident, Alcohol, and Addiction Led Me to God. We welcome Robbie Gallaty. Robbie, we're delighted to have you here. And I want to start with the difficulty of counseling addicts and former addicts. You talk to them on a regular basis. What's the biggest challenge you face in trying to help people come off an addiction? Well, I would say the challenge for most pastors in general is that they sadly don't have a framework to work from. Uh, I remember when I was in the world and I was addicted to drugs and alcohol many years ago, when I would go see counselors and psychologists and psychiatrists, I used to think, they really don't know where I've been. You know, they don't understand the challenges I face. And so I think what the Lord has given me now that I am a pastor and on this side of addiction, uh, I'm able to resonate with them and connect with them and say, you know what? I know the struggles of addiction. I know some of the ways to experience sobriety. And one of the things I tell people right out the gate is that sobriety without Christ is always a cul-de-sac, right? It's always a dead-end street. Mm -hmm meaning there's a way in, and you can have some momentary seasons of sobriety, but if you wanna have long-term sobriety, you need someone outside of yourself, namely Christ, to come in and break the bondage of sin and addiction and guilt and shame. And that's one of the reasons, Mike, I went to rehab two times. And I tell people the first two uh, times I try to do it without Christ. You know, there's, uh... I guess every family has had members of the family who have struggled with addiction, and sometimes it's hard to understand what they're going through. Um, what would you counsel the families? How to cope with a loved one, whether it's a son, a daughter, husband, wife, who's going through addiction, how do they handle it? What things should they say, not say, that can really be helpful? Yeah, this is a great question. And this is the question I think what, which will help so many people who are watching and people who are right there in the clutches of addiction with a son or a daughter. Let me tell you a little bit about my testimony and I'll give you an insight that really changed everything for me. Uh, I had gotten so low uh, in the addiction. I had a $200 a day heroin and cocaine addiction that was the result of an accident. So I was a, a, a decent kid growing up. I had a great all-American middle-class family. My parents worked hard to really 
give us a lot of things that they didn't have. And so I was the last person to ever be, quote unquote, addicted to drugs. But I got into a car accident, an 18-wheeler in 1999, rear-ended me, 65 miles an hour, slammed my car into the guardrail. And I went to the doctor, like a lot of people do, legitimately in pain, right? And so I'm asking for help, and the doctor sends me home with four things, Oxycontin, Valium, Soma, and Percocet. And Mike, you know the story. I mean, within two to three months, I'm addicted to pharmaceutical drugs, and now I have this insatiable desire to get high. I'm running through the medicine in two weeks, and so I resort to street drugs, and that's how I had this $200 a day heroin and cocaine addiction. I tell people about addiction. It's the same thing with sin. It will always take you further than you want to go. It always keeps you there longer than you want to stay. And it will always cost you more than you ever want to pay. Right? I mean, that's addiction. And so I had descended so low where I robbed my own family for $15,000. I memorized my dad's credit wow. card number. My dad and I were best friends at the time. And uh, it had gotten so bad that I, I literally, when he wasn't looking, charged $15,000 on the family business, almost bankrupted uh, my dad's 30-year collision center. And here's what I want to say to those who are struggling right now. You can always, after 16, 18 years now of counseling, you can always trace a perpetual drug addiction back to an enabler, always. Some cases, it's normally the mother. In my case, it was my father. So I could get dad to pay the phone bill three times a month. The rent was always due in my life, twice a month, right? And I could always break him down and, and ask him for money, and he would give in. But my mom put her foot down, and here's the line I want you to get, and I want to speak this with a lot of love to those who are listening. If you keep being their savior, Jesus never can be. You know, Robbie, it sounds like that uh, the way to spell love is to spell it N-O. And I don't think a lot of people can bring themselves to that. They think that they would be uh, not loving enough if they said to their son, their daughter, their husband, their wife, that, hey, I'm not going to do this anymore. You're on your own. But that's exactly what you say was the breaking point when you realized people were not going to bail you out anymore. Yeah. And I would say this, you know, my parents at the time uh, were unbelievers. They, they didn't have a personal relationship with God. And uh, so the story kind of fast forwards three months. I live without gas, electricity, and water. And it brought me to a place of needing help. And so I went to my parents. I, I got on their living room floor and I begged this prideful, arrogant, selfish young man who now was broken. And I begged my parents to take me back in. And by God's grace, my two unbelieving parents demonstrated the grace of God in my life and welcomed me back in, took me out of the environment I was in, put me in rehab. And ultimately that led to me coming to faith in Christ. And here's what I talk about in the book. The story is really built around obviously my addiction, but it's the subplot is my parents who begin with this loving, caring relationship they intervene in this drug addiction and they help me out of it. They thought, and this is what's cool about the Lord, and you know this, they thought they were saving me physically from an addiction. But providentially, what God was going to do is he was going to use me years later to lead all of them to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And Mike, I had the privilege in 2010, and what a joy it was to baptize my father, my mother, and my sister. Beautiful story. Robbie Galladay, thank you so much. The book is recovered. 
It may be just what you need if you're an addict and struggling, or it could be the book that you need if you have a family member, a loved one, or a dear friend that's struggling and you wonder how to help them. This amazing book is sure to inspire people. We're gonna let Keith Bilbrey tell our viewers where they can get a copy of Robbie Gallaty's book. You can get your copy of Recovered at Amazon.com. And to learn more about Robbie Gallaty and Long Holla Baptist Church, visit longholla.com and follow him on Twitter at rgallaty. Coming up, Crystal Gale brings a fresh take to her classic song, Don't It Make My Brown Eyes Blue. Plus a closing thought from Mike. More Huckabee is on the way. For more of Mike's commentary and analysis on the news, go to Huckabee.tv and watch Facts of the Matter. At the end of tonight's show, I've got a personal thought I want to share with you. But first, a few months ago, the incredible Crystal Gale came by our Nashville theater to perform on the show. Because we were so thrilled to have her with us, we asked her to sing another song that we've kept for just such an occasion. We are reminded just how much we miss being in our theater, but also how grateful we are to open the vault for this special presentation. Her voice is remarkable. And I gotta be honest, I had goosebumps playing bass for her. Well, here's the one and only Crystal Gale singing, Don't It Make My Brown Eyes Blue. Don't know when I've been so blue. Don't know what's come over you. You found someone new. And don't I make my brown eyes blue? I'll be fine when you're gone. I'll just cry.
As we bring this week's show to a close, a personal note. We're dedicating this show to my wife, Janet, who this past week tripped and fell on a grandchild's toy and in the fall broke her ankle in three places. Now, she's got to have surgery, and when the doctor suggested the day, she said, well, I can't do it that day. My husband's taping his show that day, and he won't be able to get me to the hospital. So my wife was willing to tough it out for three more days because I guess she believes the show must go on. I got to admit, I'm just not that tough. Her pain threshold is much higher than mine. I mean, when I go to the doctor for a routine checkup, they ask my allergies and I tell them penicillin and pain. Yep, John Wayne is dead and I'm not trying to take his place as the tough guy. So all of our team is grateful to my wife who put off the surgery on her broken ankle to make sure that we could do the show on schedule. And I gotta say, if she's that dedicated to helping us make the show, we sure hope you are as dedicated to watching it each week. And an interesting side note about the toy she stepped on, as she slipped and the toy flew up into the air, it landed directly back into the toy box where it was supposed to be all along. I kind of think the toy knew it had best get in its place or she would have broken it. Eight weeks of home quarantine because of the Wuhan virus, and now another eight weeks of recovering from a fall. We hope you are sure-footed this week, and remember to go to Huckabee.tv to get your virtual tickets and meet me on the couch. When you do, you'll be eligible to win some fun prizes from our show. This week's winner is Michael Porch. I hope he was watching from the couch and not the porch. That's his name, Michael Porch. He's from Snow Hill, Maryland. So we say congratulations, Michael. Some prizes are on their way. Now on behalf of our entire team, hey, thanks for being with us. And we'll see you next week for the next edition of The Huckabee Show. Good night and God bless.